And to say, I'd probably find this the most difficult part of preaching is the kind of trying to stop the chatter that goes on, kind of affirm. <laughs> um, my name's Steve. You're very welcome here this morning. We're continuing our summer series looking at um, some kings from the Bible. For a couple of weeks, we've looked at King David, and now we're going to look at um, his son, Solomon, who succeeded him on the throne. Now, some of you may be familiar with King Solomon's story. You may think about his riches, the fact that he built the temple, also that he is very wise, that he is believed to have written the book, much of the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. You may be familiar with it, or not so much, but what I really want us to do this morning is just to see that the challenges that this king faced are really important and very relevant to us today. Now, as I'm pretty sure that most of you know, I'm a primary school teacher. My, my relationship with the teaching profession could be described as love-hate. When I'm on summer holiday, I love it. I get to watch the Olympics and sport and things like that. But when I'm in school, not so much. It can be a bit hate at times. Um, but since starting teaching, the last couple of terms have probably been um, my most enjoyable. I've actually had a good time in the class. I've enjoyed teaching like the class I had last year. But it wasn't always that way. Particularly in my training and during my first year of being a teacher, there are many times when I just wanted to give up. <coughs> I wanted to quit. During that period, I, I wasn't married. I was living at home with my um, parents. And I remember having a conversation with my dad one night about it. I think I'd got to, got to the end of my tether with teaching. And he was trying to help. He was like, oh, you know, I'll try to help you with some lessons. I'll try and do some planning. Um, I'll try and help with some resources. And I remember looking at him and just thinking, you're not a teacher. What can you do? And looking back, I can realise how ungrateful I can be. Also, I can realise how ridiculous a statement like that is. My dad wasn't and isn't a primary school teacher. He's an accountant, so he's probably about as far away from that as you could possibly be. But there's an attitude in there from me saying that unless your situation is exactly like mine, you can't possibly help in any way. And I, I do believe it's really helpful to seek advice from people who have a kind of similar kind of life to you, maybe similar jobs, similar career. But we can develop this situation that, yeah, if they're, just not, if they're not exactly like us, how can they possibly speak into our situation? And that's why I found it helpful when Gavin Peacock, the ex-footballer, came over um, a few weeks ago to speak. He did a, there was a barbecue at Owen and Pauline's house, and he spoke about living out his faith as a footballer, and he talked about how he had to make sure he didn't get involved in the gossip in the changing at Chelsea. And I, I, found that, I found that quite amusing, the idea of all these highly paid footballers gossiping. Also found it quite helpful to think, his work situation, his work environment was so different to mine, but actually the issue at the heart of it is still relevant. I don't work with highly paid professional footballers. I don't have the lifestyle as a footballer, but when I'm in the staff from the school, that's something I have to watch. I have to make sure I don't engage in the gossip or the moaning. And sometimes in my staff, that can mean sitting in silence for half an hour at a time, just trying to get through it. And I'm sure a lot of us here today can say something similar about our workplaces, or maybe even our friendship groups. 
Situations may change, but often the issue is the same at the heart of it. And that's what I really want us to think about today, but as we come to look this, at this life of King Solomon, but we don't kind of think, oh, what's this king from the Old Testament? Well, that's completely irrelevant. His life, what could I learn from that? Because I can think we can miss out on some key things that it has to um, teach us. Um, so I've called the talk kind of dealing with inadequacy, and the passage, the main passage I'm going to be looking at is from 1 Kings 3, um, verses 1 to 15, so it, it appears up on the PowerPoint as well. So that's 1 Kings 3, verses 1 to 15. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you, and righteous, and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honour, so that in your lifetime you have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And Solomon awoke and realised it in a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And he gave a feast for all his court. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time of worship this morning. We thank you that um, you have spoken, that you have reminded us your amazing grace, you reminded us of your cross, um, that wonderful cross where we can 
remember the sacrifice that your son made for us. Lord, I thank you that we can have a relationship with you. I thank you that you've given us your word, uh, this truth, and Lord, I pray that you will speak through me this morning. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will be amongst us working powerfully. And Lord, as always, we want to become more like your son. Lord, we have faith that I'm not in my words, I'm not in ourselves, we have faith in you to change us, for your Holy Spirit to do the work in us. So Lord, I pray that that will happen this morning. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, now, I said earlier that one of the main things we associate with Solomon is wisdom. And it is important that he asks um, for wisdom, and that it is wisdom that he receives from God, rather than just common sense, intelligence, qualifications, or self-help. I will look at that aspect of the passage a bit later, but at the beginning I really want to focus on this kind of sense of inadequacy that influences Solomon's request for wisdom. Because I think in this passage we see that Solomon recognises, firstly recognises the inadequacy, he then brings the issue to God, and then he trusts God with it. So he recognises the inadequacy, he brings the issue to God, and he trusts him with it. The Lord appears to Solomon in a dream and says, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And that's the type of thing I want God to say to me <laughs> every time I go to sleep at night. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Um, but before he actually asks for wisdom, Solomon explains why he wants it in verses 7 and 8. You have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duty. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count in number. Is there a sense here that the, at the beginning of his reign, Solomon is feeling the pressure of succeeding his father, the great King David? In spite of David's indiscretions, he was considered a great king, and he did he achieved many great things. And I can imagine. Someone might be a bit worried about following in his footsteps, wondering, is he going to match up to his father? Someone thinks of this Israelite nation, the great multitude, and says they're far too numerous to count the number. When he says that he's only a little child, it's not literally the case, it's not a reflection of his age, but it's emphasising his, his inexperience. <coughs> Solomon is looking at the task ahead of him, all he is entrusted with and responsible for, he doesn't feel up for the task. When he sees it, he refers to himself as a little child. Now, we can sometimes think that those people who are in positions of importance or significance are maybe immune to that. They don't have those types of worries. And you can think, how can they get to such a position if they're battling a kind of sense of inadequacy in that way? How have they worked their way up to what we may perceive as the top? Now, this is quite a well-known quote, and, um, by, and you may have heard it before, but I find what Madonna, the, the singer, said very helpful and enlightening. Now, this isn't a comment <laughs> on her music, but you can just bear, in my, bear with me a moment. Um, she said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it, 
and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again. My driving life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me. Pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. So right at the beginning of his reign, Solomon doesn't feel up to the task of ruling Israel. Madonna, whatever you feel about her music, doesn't feel up to the task of being a somebody. I suppose my question for you is, today, what are you feeling not up to the task of? It might be telling the gospel in our workplace. It might be witnessing to our friends. It might be being a patient parent or trying to make your marriage work. And the reason I find the response of Madonna so interesting, it's like she harnesses this sense of inadequacy and uses it to drive her on. And I can relate to that in a sense, not that, as you know, I'm a singer-songwriter, but when I'm at work and the pressure is on and I feel like, oh, they're, really, they're setting these standards for me, I can feel like, oh, my natural inclination is to work harder. That's what I naturally go to. To use that to show that I can be a great teacher. That's a t so others may use that kind of sense of inadequacy to drive them on. Others may just try to deny and bury it, pretend it's not there. Rather than admit they need help with something, we'll try to carry on as normal, although they, in all honesty, live in fear of that inadequacy being exposed at some stage. Some may try to overcome it through pursuing other things, money, sex, sex, success, losing weight or gaining muscles. It may be different person to person, but it's still trying to solve the same problem ultimately. And what I find helpful in this passage is that Solomon isn't trying to deny the inadequacy, isn't trying to bury it or harness it to drive himself on. He recognises it. But he doesn't just leave it there. He isn't passive. He actively brings the issue to God. <coughs> now it was said of Solomon's father, King David, that he was a man after God's own heart. But there was notable failures in David's reign. He committed adultery, which then led to murder. But David understood the heart of God. So that when he sinned gravely, he threw himself upon the Lord. Under the law, the punishment for what he'd done was death. But in Psalm 51, David cries out, Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. He understood something of God's heart, something of his character, so he's able to trust him for mercy and for forgiveness. And we see too that Solomon has an understanding of God's character. The Lord says, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answers in verse 6, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was great, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Solomon understands and recognises the faithfulness of God. 
One commentator describes it like Solomon is making the request in terms of a covenant relationship established with David, his father. David was faithful to God, so God in turn had been with David in providing a successor to the throne. Solomon, see, Solomon sees that God was faithful to his father. It's because God keeps his promises, his covenant, that Solomon is in fact king, he's on the throne. So that's what frames his request. Understanding that God has promised that he would establish David's house, his dynasty, God promised David an eternal throne. And that's what enables Solomon to make this request. It's that he understands God's faithfulness. And I just think that it's a lesson for us to be able to learn to recognise how our view of God will greatly affect our relationship on him. If we think that he's cold, distant, uninterested, even weak, why would we go to him for anything? If we think he's, he will fail us, we won't approach him, we won't come with confidence. So, when we're confronted with fear, when we can maybe this sense of oh, we're going to fail, this sense of inadequacy, of not maybe having what it takes, where do we go? Where do you take it? Do you take it to God? Because we see in the passage that Solomon can trust him. It's clear that not only does he understand something of God's character, because of how he asks, but you also understand something of his character because of what he asks for. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon sees that God had been faithful to his father and he just asks for a discerning heart to be able to govern his people. He sees all that he's been entrusted with, all that he's responsible for, this great task of ruling this nation. And he asks for a discerning heart and wisdom to fulfil what God has planned for him. We read in Proverbs that it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's Proverbs 3 verse 18. And in one commentary it says that wisdom is not just about making the right decisions or intelligence. Wisdom begins with a choice of learning to trust God. And we may have many choices day to day, some of these big, some of these small. Um, but choosing wisdom is in a sense choosing, making a choice for God. And it's like there's various barriers that may be in our way in terms of dealing with inadequacy. It's like we might be trying to deny it, and we see from Solomon, but we need to recognise it. Sometimes we feel that we might not want to bring it to God. There's a sense of, we can almost feel self-condemnation in that. I'm not sure about you, but I can feel when I recognise a problem and need in myself, it's almost like I think, oh no, I shouldn't be feeling that. It's that way. I can't bring it to him. But thirdly, and finally, we must learn to trust him with it. In asking for wisdom, Solomon is showing that he's concerned about God's way. Verse 10 tells us that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. God gives him a wise and discerning heart. And even though Solomon didn't ask for it, he's given riches and honour so that in his lifetime we'll have 
no equal among the kings. And I think this shows something of God's heart. He gives with abundance. We do have to be careful because you can read a verse like that and assume that God's going to give everyone riches and honour, lots of wealth. And no matter how much we want that to be, it may not be the case. But I do think there's so something of God's heart in that situation. But Solomon asked for something and God went over and above that and gave him so much more. I said at the beginning that there can be this temptation that we have to, we can see the Old Testament as irrelevant. We can't really engage with that kind of society. It just seems so different to what we experience now. And, and that can be a danger, and it's, it's a shame because it means we can miss out on all that it has to teach us. Also, as Dan said last week, the great thing is for the Old Testament is it foreshadows the New Testament, it points to the New Testament. Solomon recognises that he isn't up to the task of leading Israel, and he asks God what he'll need to do, what he'll need to have to rule justly and effectively. And God not only answers by giving him what he asked for, but gave him so much more. Now, we're going to look at, continue looking at the reign of Solomon in a couple of weeks' time, but some of you may know that he's often termed as a king who he started well, but then he kind of lost his way towards the end. And in a sense, earthly kings can never obtain perfection. But as we know, a descendant of David and Solomon did. God sent his son, Jesus, to the world. Solomon understood that he didn't have it what it takes to rule justly and wisely. Um, I think most of us here are Christians, so at some stage we've recognised that in ourselves we have nothing that can could have restored our relationship with God. In and of ourselves, despite all the talents he's given us, all that he's blessed us with, there's nothing that could restore that relationship. We recognise that our sin and need for a saviour and brought it to God and received forgiveness and restoration of that relationship. But sometimes we can just stay in that place. It's just salvation for us. We're free from judgment, which is an amazing thing. We're justified before God. But we just stay there, and we don't move on. Solomon got what he asked for, but God, in his grace, gave him even more. In Hebrews um, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. I'll read that again. Let us appro then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. There's grace for justification, but there's also grace for our sanctification, for becoming more like Jesus. I don't want to devalue salvation in the sense of becoming, it's standing right before God, justified, but God in his grace wants to bless us with so much more. And that's because it's his heart, it's his character. Um, even as Christians, we can often look at an inadequacy um, within ourselves, and we can see it, but we just don't take it to God. We forget that in our time of need, there's mercy and grace for us. 
Um, and it's important that we recognize that and we just keep on coming back to the cross because when we're reminded of the cross as we have been this morning in our times of worship, of that amazing grace, as we're reminded of it and we see our need for it on a day-to-day -day basis, it reminds us of the need to tell other people about it. Because in and of themselves, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who are dead in their sins, they have nothing in and of themselves to restore that relationship. So it's important that we remember that we to say that in Jesus they find their sufficiency. For that search they go through, trying to maybe deny it, bury it, use it to drive themselves on, ultimately is futile because the only way they'll find their sufficiency find that acceptance is in Jesus so in a sense I think it's about following the example of Solomon in this passage and just being honest with ourselves the sense of inadequacy may be different our situation may be different but our response should be the same and when those themes may come up in us, it may be simple as saying a, a prayer to God, Lord, I'm feeling this, but I know there's mercy and grace for me in my time of need. It may even be reaching out to someone, getting past that awkwardness and saying, look, I'm dealing with this, can you pray for me about this? Because I think that God gives so abundantly, that he gives over and above what we deserve. And I think often we just, because of our own stuff, we're not accessing as we can. I think Becca's going to come up and sing a song, just pray. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you that we are reminded of your mercy and grace this morning. Lord, we, we praise you because you are our saviour, that you reach down into this earth and um, you experience all that we have to experience, all the temptations that we have to experience, but you are without sin. So Lord, I thank you that um, we can trust in you, that we can trust that in our weakness you can be strong. So Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do your work in us, but if there's any sense of any barrier prevents us from bringing stuff to you, that it will go in Jesus' name. For Lord, we'll be able to trust you with all our issues, all our failings, all our weaknesses, because we know that you have mercy and grace for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we worship you.